Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh, yeah. We are back. We are doing it again. Doing it again. Welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will be taking you all through George Jackson's Blood in My Eye momentarily. And by momentarily, I mean right stinking now because we just recorded a current events episode and nothing has happened in the last 35 minutes, to the best of my knowledge. (laughs) Um, I'm sure I'm wrong. At the pace the world is heading right now, I'm sure I'm wrong if something else horrible has happened. Uh, But in the meantime, I don't know about it, so we can't report it to you. So we're just going to read the book. Is that okay with everyone? Everyone on the same page? All right. Reading the book. Uh, we start this week on page 179, The Oppressive Contract. This is, we're, we're, we're getting into it. This is the last section before the afterword, folks. We're wrapping this up. It is coming. The end is near. Uh, first, women and children in a ditch in Vietnam. Ultimately, executions in the civic centers of every lookalike county in this country. Dear John Jurassic, oh, John's back. Hi, John. Uh, <laughs> as you know, I'm in a unique political position. I have a very nearly closed future. And since I have always been inclined to get disturbed over organized injustice or terrorist practice against the innocents, wherever, I can now say just about what I want. Parentheses, I've always done just about that. Without fear of self-exposure. I can only be executed once. No matter what I do, they will always explain me away with the fact of my 11 years in prison and my supposed loss of contact with objective reality. So I rage on, aggressive and free, the action on April 6th. When I am denied or corrected, I always understand, but rage on. All on the principle that the ideal must be demonstrated, that the oppressed mentality must be taught by example to escape the myth the hoax that repression can work against the collective consciousness of the commune and to prove that ideals cannot be killed with violence. So I'm duty bound to take the occasion of your letter to respond with what an Irishman once termed the sweet taste of sedition. I'll go straight back to our visit and the hour they allowed us to deal with all the, all the years. I took your casual remark concerning the outlaw back to the cell with me, tooled with it a bit and clarified it in my own hand. I have a hundred related questions. I am alive and learning. Outlaws, of course, I thought, revolution will not be tolerated. It is against the law in the totalitarian corporate state. I think it's against the law in most states. I don't know many states that are like, revolution, we're here for it. We want it. Bring it on. Uh, The revolutionary must always certainly reconcile himself with one day becoming an outlaw. Then my thoughts turn to the oppressive contract in general. It's the nature of cancer to expand. You've seen a great deal of it firsthand, U.S. expansionism since World War II. I've only studied it vicariously. But we see the same conclusions. Millions of outlaws in the Union of South Africa, Jordan, Indochina, and here. Summary executions, not of uniformed soldiers, but ordinary people. First women and children in a ditch in Vietnam. Ultimately executions in the civic centers of every lookalike county in this country. And that's the principal contradiction of Monopoly Capital's oppressive contract. The system produces outlaws. It also breeds contempt for the oppressed. A cruel of contempt is its, is its fundamental survival technique. This leads to excesses and destroys any hope of peace eventually being worked out between the two antagonistic classes, the haves and the have-nots. Coexistence is impossible. 
despite what every bumper sticker on a Prius will tell you. <laughs> that was that was Nathan's introduction. That was not George. George wasn't prescient to, to know about Priuses. Contempt breeds... George, George Jackson predicted Priuses and their <laughs> shitty bumper stickers. Mother of God. Contempt breeds resistance, and resistance breeds brutality. The whole growing in spirals that must either end in the uneconomic destruction of the oppressed or the termination of the oppression. History is clearly a long continuum of synthesizing elements. The imbalances of the oppressive contract, ideals so fundamentally contradictory, and forces so mutually exclusive can only result in the disillusion of the agents that con- of that contradiction. The corollary of the contract is quite simply malignancy. It strikes first of all in the region of the brain. A search for a non-diseased mind throws one hard against one of the greatest historic biological calamities imaginable. Excuses can be made for some workers— Blind defense for the system that is victimizing them, brainwashed by the National Advertising Council's portrait of the silent majority is well off in comparison to the barbarian world. Their mindless behavior can also be explained by their ignorance of labor history. But even the nationalistic conditioning received in massive doses from birth cannot completely explain why man would turn against himself. Even the worker's short-term economic advantage is only a partial explanation. We must look for the root causes in the psychosocial effect of competitiveness and racism. The huge mass of blue-collar workers seem to be working totally against themselves in their support of a system owned and controlled by a tiny minority. Actually, their contradictory behavior is explained by feelings of loyalty to race, by their identification with the white hierarchy, and by their economic advantage over the oppressed races. They may be oppressed themselves, but in return, they are allowed to oppress millions of others. Welcome to being a white person in the Imperial Corps. Mm-hmm. 100%. The economic nature of racism is not simply an aside. Built-in features, physical features, exclude blacks from participation. Exclude them forever. These features cannot be changed. It is the relationship that must change. Racism is a fundamental characteristic of monopoly capitalism. When the white self-congratulatory racist complains that the blacks are uncouth, unlettered, that our areas are run down, not maintained, that we dress with loud tastelessness, a thing they now say about their own children, he forgets that he governs. He forgets that he built the schools that are inadequate, that he has abused his responsibility to use taxes paid by blacks to improve their living conditions, that he manufactured the loud pants and pointed shoes that destroy and deform the feet. If we are not enough like him to suit his tastes, it's because he planned it that way. We were never intended to be part of this world. It's a silly contradiction for him or us to dwell on the subject of comparisons between the enemy culture and its creation, the subculture. The only way the exploiter can maintain his position is to create differences and maintain deformities. I also, I don't want to distract too much from the main point there because every sentence in that is brilliant, but I do like how he, he touches too, like a thing they also now say about their children, right? All, all the kids these days, that's rooted in, in racism. And, and then, you know, cause anytime workers or black people or gay people win any rights, you have to, to blame it on a social degeneracy. We're losing God and we're losing kids these days. And it's, it's the capitalistic system that creates everything they don't like, but they can't blame it on capitalism. We can't blame it on, on, um, you know, the, the free market and, and the fact that, that, you know, everything is to sell everything and that's why it's commodified, right? We can't repair a refrigerator. Things aren't made module and you got to buy a whole nother thing. Isn't because, you know, gay people aren't dying in, in more droves. It's because of capitalism. 
right? The hey, reason that there's shitty TV and, and no good art when and there's plenty of good art, by the way. That's a, a racist thing to say, but there's not the multitudes of capacity to do art. And even in the past, it was commissioned, you know, by the wealthy. It's it's this fucking system. Mm-hmm. It's the fucking system. They created it, and then they bitch about it. Um, yeah. It is, and and, yeah. and and again, you know, even when you hear white people bitching about their own kids, that's that's an extension. It's the same way, like spanking, right? Spanking comes from you know beating slaves, and and now white people do it to their own kids, and 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 brag about it is is what a lot of reactionary white people do, right? Well, it's it's with, like an in club, yeah. like do you spank your kids? Oh yeah, you're one of the like. There, there's that fucking social conditioning out there. It's messed up. And when you see it, when they but say the, that's what it comes from. When you say the turn on the kids, it's usually because the the youth are much more willing to accept something well, outside the monoculture, something outside the the overarching thing that is there and and a lot of times that reflects on well, minority cultures and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean it's twofold. First, if they're not taught to hate and then they meet people, uh, you know, outside, they get along with them like like other people and you know, secondarily, right, if workers win rights, if black people win, you know, rights, uh, being freed from slavery or, you know, winning more civil rights or something, if gay people win more rights, and then you grow up after those rights have won, have been won, that's more normal to you, right? It's not the same affront. And so now, you know, all of a sudden, the world doesn't, that's where you get the mythology of the world just progressing in some linear progression, right? It's like the idea of evolution has some end goal and, and something more evolved doesn't mean it's specifically better adapted for its environment as it exists in a shot, you know, in a specific time, it's, it's that it's a greater, a better being. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually how evolution works and that's not how the world progresses. But of course, you know, natural selection works by making something more adapted to environment and people fight for their rights. They win rights. You know, they, you can't kill spirit like George Jackson is saying, right. There's always, you know, ebbs and flows in history and there's always people fighting revolutionary fights and so you're going to have wins, even if you also have losses for these groups. And when the bad things happen from your system, including the losses for these groups, but also, you know, the disposability and the commercialization and the consumerism and all that stuff happens, it happens alongside the wins for these groups. And so reactionaries, it's an affront to their bigotry. They've lost that. They didn't gain their, their, you know, because they upkept their bigotry instead of turning around and fighting in coalition with these oppressed groups. To, to overthrow capitalism they didn't win back any any power and so it's i lost it and then they point to the oppressed groups and that is the essence of fascism exactly exactly it is the sense of the finality of their exclusion from solid poli- social economic participation that forces our youth away from the crippled family unit into the streets it causes the excessive importance of meaningless relationships and the prevalence of anti-communal behavior which is a psychosocial response to the loss and longing for community the diseased mind, it's slowly spreading throughout the oppressed organism. Even the magnificent savage, the mindless overman, is dying from the almost total anemia. Where is the black man? I see him inseparable from the black female, but where is he now? How, has he sur- how he has survived at all is almost beyond any rational explanation. Easily, I understood the alternatives of the black situation. Assimilation, meaning acceptance of the oppressive contract ossification or life below beyond outside of society or revolution but john i admit to some confusion over the issue of white racism growing out of my experience in prison my mind has vacillated between the historical references african feudalism and african communalism i know that we africans were the first communists j edgar hoover calls it primitive communism in one of the glossaries of his anti-people books 
Dr. Du Bois dealt with it in the Philadelphia Negro. Shout out to Dr. Du Bois. Welcome back, good doctor. It's been a minute. I think, I can't quite remember now, in a positive manner. So I never had any of the really serious hangups in accepting revolution. But I think for a while, I sincerely felt that Europeans were not capable of communistic Unitarian behavior. I felt this, however, only briefly, since Unitarian progressive conduct seems to be a problem for all of us after hundreds of years of steadily centralizing capitalism, and in some areas after thousands of years of hierarchy. I've always understood that the new cultural nationalist attempts to return to pre-slavery past of African feudalism can only leave the average black man more uncertain and insecure than ever. It is difficult to understand why such negative, academic, and obscure exoticism, 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 there you go, thank you, exists when there are definite examples of historical contributions which could be used to analyze and give meaning to our present and our future. The commitment to total revolution must involve an analysis of both an econo- the economic motives and the psychosocial motives which perpetuate the oppressive contract. For the black partisan, national structures are quite simply non-existent. A people without a collective consciousness that transcends national boundaries, freaks. Afro-Americans, Negroes, even Americans without the sense of a larger community than their own group can have no effect on history. Ultimately, they will be eliminated from the scene. Without the collective sense of community, without its movement, Bobby Hutton, the shootout on Central, August 7th, and institutions, our survival projects that will now grow into infrastructure, we simply never will be an effective force. Uh, So just jumping down to the footnotes on that, after the August 7th reference on Bobby Hutton, uh, three instances of armed black resistance. Little Bobby Hutton was killed in the aftermath of a prolonged shootout with the Oakland police that involved Eldridge Cleaver. Hutton was shot and killed shortly after emerging from the basement of a house to surrender, naked, as the police had demanded, and with both hands in the air. Police came claim they shot him when he attempted to escape. The shootout on Central is described in a previous note. The significance of August 7th is described in the introduction. Uh, and then the next note was on the survival projects, and it says the new programs of the Black Panther Party, which include free medical clinics, breakfast programs, cooperative factories, housing, liberation schools, and prison projects. During the nationalist period of the collective oppressed mentality promoted by the establishment, the movement is frozen, static. This is the level of development favored by the oppressor, the artless, empty ideals of the pseudo-nation. Love and respect for a flag, a nationalistic song or beat, the fervent belief in a bond or organization which arises out of a thwarted longing for real community. The establishment. Mm, that whole, whole like, oh, this is attacking America and our institutions and people going, oh my God. It's because you grow up without a community and pledging allegiance to a flag. It's all you know. It's the Mm -hmm. only belonging you have, right? Um, and that even can, can, you know, work with identification of, of an oppressive group, right? Like if you're a white person and it's like, okay, let's deconstruct you know, whiteness, right? And and then you cease to be a white person. Well, now you, you feel like you have no community at all unless you forge one through, you know, revolutionary action and just general, you know, um, outreach in your local community, whatever capitalism allows. But capitalism seeks to destroy it. It seeks to destroy it with the nuclear family. It seeks to destroy it um, with, you know, suburban housing. It seeks to destroy it with job competition and overwork and consumerism. It, it, seeks to destroy it and does very, very well at, at destroying community. Absolutely. The establishment does everything in its power to ensure that revolutionary rage is redirected into empty outlets, which provide pressure releases for desires that could become dangerous if allowed to progress. 
At this stage in the development of monopoly capitalism, there are two alternatives, aggressive revolutionary activity or calcification. Conservative society, black or white, is decadent society. Due to the absence of creativity and movement, conservative society always burns itself out. Your letter got right at the heart of that principle. The whole idea of cultural nationalism has all but been smothered now. It was basically contrived out of the loss of community and the terms of the oppressive contract, coercive conformity, and indulgent flexibility to the demands of hierarchy. But we must all realize that the oppressive contract cannot be broken as long as any sort of hierarchy exists to perpetuate the sensitized relations, relationships of American tribalism, classism, and racism. Society is rendered impossible by such relationships. The establishment of society through intercommunalism, which is something we, we reference from Huey Newton. Exactly. Um, and it is Huey P. Newton's concept of the revolutionary solidarity of all oppressed peoples of the world, which, again, we have covered uh, with comrades from WHOAWO. Uh, and that episode is in our backlog if you want more information on that. Mm-hmm. And and for a quick summary of it, just to, to give a context for anyone who hasn't heard that and 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 hasn't been able to backtrack to it, a, a big part of that is is Huey Newton felt like national uh, nationalism, revolutionary nationalism, has always been the forefront um, of socialist revolution, right? Um, outside, of course, the Russian Revolution itself, um, but that revolutionary nationalism it struggles to exist in hegemony. And so it's revolutionary through urban pockets, right? And, and pockets of urban guerrillas rising up as one interconnected community throughout the world against U.S. hegemony. Absolutely. The establishment of society through intercommunalism will require that the social contract be completely altered. Clearly, alteration cannot take place unless hierarchy is destroyed. Can we expect the hierarchy to do away with itself? Then the real undertaking at present is the unconditional freeing of the people. We plunge beyond ideological debate for this immediate before this immediate task. The black man and the black female must be, as I have mentally ordered things, completely joined together in the act of liberation. I accept my black mama with all her fears for my life that border on hysteria at times. But I also realize that it is the role of the living, of all the innocent, to discover unitary practice and conduct and move against the institutions that close on the oppressed. Those who have more regard for their own egos or self-interest than they have for building an ununited progressive left, and those who abandon community altogether in favor of petty interests, are in direct opposition to our real interests. They are attempting another form of escapism. They are fleeing the objective conditions of their real life and will eventually reach the ultimate contradiction of facing their father or brother or old classmate, comrade, or wife over the barrel of a gun. Or they will find themselves in no man's land, cast out by the people suspected by their crime partners. That uh, notes, uh, hold on, suspected by their crime partners. That uh, is a footnote to imprison Argot, a man's most trusted companion. But regarding the crisis just passed in the party, party being the departure from the Black Panther Party of Eldred Cleaver and some of his followers in Algeria and New York, as Huey Newton reminds us, there is always a positive side to each negative. The confused resentment and reverse racism of the Black Partisan will eventually lead to a new, more productive and creative contribution. Already we realize that there was no split in the party, only a defection. The party has come out of it stronger. We can now bring our strategy and tactics into realistic conformity with our total objective situation. 
Recall we discussed Jonathan and guerrilla strategy in the urban situation at length over that piece of paper with circles and lines, arrows and question marks. I guess now that he is dead and the guilty are safe from the muscle of his mind and arm, it is safe to reveal some of his thoughts and functions within the matrix of the party and movement. He felt as I did that the military and political branches, though married in purpose and direction in these opening stages, should function separately from each other for very obvious reasons. In undeveloped countries, the establishment's military strike forces are not more than 30 miles down a dirt road in the provincial capital. They're always within a few moments of strike. The urban guerrilla, however, can mingle with the enemy and remain invisible and invulnerable. In our present situation, there is no contradiction between the military thinking and action and the primacy of politics. The situation allows for such activity as the August 7th movement because it can be accomplished without giving the enemy state forces the pretext they need to move in and destroy the political apparatus under the very convenient and much used Anglo-Saxon conspiracy laws. The primacy of politics will continue as long as the military reads, picks up, and works well within the prevailing political matrix. So Jonathan's raid on the military and judiciary that Friday was at once an expression of his own aggressive consciousness and that of the party. It is easy to infer all this in retrospect, that Jonathan was head of a clandestine army which saw the Black Panther Party as its political leader. Operating on his own, he was able at least to attempt to support some of the minimum demands of the people without placing Huey Newton and David Hilliard in jeopardy of loss of movement or death, i.e. prosecution in courts. David, you want to take mm-hmm. over? Because the yeah, yeah I was going to say because the political propaganda machine is very strong. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, by having Jonathan and, and other guerrilla actions disconnected, the fear mongering of oh, you know, we see it now that they try to tell you know oh, Antifa soldiers coming for your baby. You know, I mean, it, it's exactly how it's always been, right? It's mm-hmm. how you know um, Red Scare has been for a long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty obvious. Um, that this is our only recourse at the present level of development is too obvious to even dwell on. It will not be possible, however, in the advanced stages of revolution. Just at a glance at the present level of consciousness at the status of survival infrastructure will reveal our, the error of Cleaver's analysis that no separation should exist between military and political cadre, between military and political action. You know I sent him a message suggesting that unitarian conduct depends on a principled discipline and subcommission to democratic centralism instead of egoism that sent him first against his Muslims, the Sacramento Bee Pig Press at the time, then against the Peace and Freedom Party, even against the progressive elements of the CP, through his un- unreasoned attack on the magnificent Angela Davis. Recently, he has even attacked the dedicated, overworked, and brilliant Charles Gary. It seems to be a pattern with the man. You recall the attack he launched against Fidel in Cuba, and those accounts that seem disparaging of his host, which have reached the pig press from here from time to time. My personal message to him was mild, considering that he was in fact leaving his old comrades open to attack again. I sent a letter reminding him that his behavior while in prison was far from exemplary and had a section of it signed by Ulysses McDaniel and Clifford Jefferson, two of the oldest and most respected black partisans in the California concentration camp system. Then I listed some behavioral patterns since his release, a more complete list than the one just given, that did not indicate that he had changed much. I finally asked him simply to show proof now that he was not a compulsive disruptor or agent provocateur. A very mild request, I feel. He returned with a very scurrilous and profane set of incentives, in short, a piece of vendetta. Tell him that 7,000 miles, the walls of prison, and steel and barbed wire do not make him safe for my special brand of discipline. Tell him that the dragon is coming. 
the substructured prison movements are gaining momentum. My trial is set for early August 1971. There'll be hearings in between, of course, and they are at at all like the last, or yeah, if if they are at all like the last, you'll get to see my special bastardized style of martial arts. I'm working hard to stay in form. It wasn't at my best at the last showing. I'll clean them all next time they attack. Attend. Let me see your style. Your comrade in arms. He does not. He who does not fear death of a thousand cuts will dare unseat the emperor, George Jackson. And that is the last main section of the book. Uh, mm. We are moving now into the afterword, which is a statement by Huey P. Newton, servant of the people, Black Panther Party at the Revolutionary Memorial Service for George Jackson. Power to the people. Power to our fallen comrade, Brother George Jackson, member of the Black Panther Party. First, because many people are wondering, I would like to explain the connection between Brother George Jackson and the Black Panther Party. When I went to prison in 1967, I met George. Not physically, but through his ideas, his thoughts, and words. He was at Soledad Prison at the time. I was at the California Penal Colony. George was a legendary figure throughout the prison system, where he spent most of his life. I met George through his spirit. Shortly after learning about him, I got word through the prison grapevine that he wanted to join the Black Panther Party. At his request, he was made a member of the People's Revolutionary Army with the rank of General and Field Marshal. He was put in charge of the prison recruiting and was asked to go on with his life as a revolutionary example, which was the most important thing one can ever do, because that cannot be killed. I say the legendary figure is also a hero. George Jackson was my hero. He set a standard for prisoners, political prisoners, for people. He showed the love, the strength, the revolutionary fervor that's characteristic of any soldier for the people. He inspired prisoners, who I later encountered, to put his ideas into practice, and so his spirit became a living thing. Today I say that although George's body has fallen, his spirit goes on, because his ideas live. And we will see that these ideas stay alive, because they'll be manifested in our bodies and in these young Panthers' bodies who are our children. So it's a true saying that there will be revolution from one generation to the next. This was George's legacy, and he will go on. He will go on into immortality because we believe that the people will win. We know the people will win as they advance generation upon generation. What kind of standard did George Jackson set? First, he was a strong man, without fear, determined, full of love, strength, and dedication to the people's cause. He lived a life that we must praise. No matter how he was oppressed, no matter how wrongly he was done, he still kept the love for the people. And this is why he felt no pain in giving up his life for the people's cause. The state itself sets the stage for the kind of contradiction or violence that occurs in our world, particularly in the prisons. The ruling circle of the United States has terrorized the world. The state has the audacity to say they have the right to kill. They say they have a death penalty and it's legal. But I say by the laws of nature that no death penalty can be legal. It's only cold-blooded murder. It spurs all sorts of violence, because every man has a contract with himself to keep himself alive at all costs. Legally, the state can only confine someone subject to correction at a later date. Even if the state does wrong, it could give itself the semblance of legality by leaving open the possibility of recidification. But of course, with the death penalty, with the kind of violence that we see in our community, where the police are also the executioners, we don't have this chance of negotiation. They have the audacity to say that people should deliver a life to them without a struggle. 
None of us can accept that. George Jackson had every right to do everything possible to preserve his life and the life of his comrades, the life of the people. Even after his death, George Jackson is a legendary figure and a hero. Even the oppressor realizes this. To cover their murder, they say that George Jackson killed five people, five oppressors, and wounded three in the space of 30 seconds. You know, sometimes I like to overlook the fact that this would be physically impossible. But after all, George Jackson is my hero. And I would like to think that it was possible. I would be very happy thinking that George Jackson had the strength, had that strength, because that would have made him Superman. Of course, my hero would all have to be a Superman. And we will raise our children to be like George Jackson, to live like George Jackson, and to fight for freedom as George Jackson fought for freedom. George's last statement, the example of his conduct at San Quentin on that terrible day, left a standard for political prisoners and for prisoner society of racist and for the prisoner society of racist reactionary America. He left a standard for the liberation armies of the world. He showed us how to act. He demonstrated how the unjust would be criticized by the weapon, and this will certainly be true, because the people will take care of that. George also said once that the oppressor is very strong, and he might beat him down. He might beat us down to our very knees. He might crush us to the ground, but it will be physically impossible for the oppressor to go on. At some point, his legs will get tired. When his legs get tired, and then George and the people will tear his kneecaps off. But the first the state sets the scene for such violence. But first the state sets the scene for such violence, you see. And some people say that we can't get rid of this kind of physical conflict with more of the same. Well, I will take issue with this. We can use the example of the oppressor stomping George Jackson down to his knees. He can't go on. We will retaliate with violence against violence. It's true that we'll be hurt by this violence, but we'll be but we're determined not to let him wipe out the people. We know that he cannot wipe out the people because we will fight on. We will tear his legs off. We'll tear his head off and we'll take the example from George Jackson. In the name of love and in the name of freedom, with love as our guide, we'll slit every throat of anyone who threatens the people and our children. We'll do it in the name of peace. If this is what we are forced to do, because as soon as it's over, then we can have the kind of world where violence will no longer exist. So we will be very practical. We won't make statements and believe the things the prison officials say. They're incredible stories about one man killing five people in 30 seconds. We will go on and live very realistically. There will be pain and suffering and much suffering in order for us to develop. But even in our suffering, I see a strength growing. I see the example that George set living on. We know that all of us will die someday, but we know that there are two kinds of death, the reactionary death and the revolutionary death. One death is significant and the other is not. George certainly died in a significant way, and his death will be very heavy, while the deaths of the ones that fell that day in San Quentin will be lighter than a feather. Even those who support them now will not support them in the future, because we're determined to change their minds. We'll change their minds, or else in the people's name we'll have to wipe them out thoroughly, wholly, absolutely, and completely. All power to the people. And that gang is Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, hold on one sec. This is very solemn. This is very important, but we have to, we're obligated to do this. Uh, party popper sounds. Boo! We did it! We finished the book! <laughs> Never gets old, gang. Never gets old. That, fin- that, no. mm, that finished the book smell. It's, it's great. 
Yes, this one took a lot less than two years, though. A lot um, less than two years. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So you know, I'm That's... not. You know, it's not the 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 slug. I didn't break out the full cannon border fireworks for this one like I did for Black Reconstruction. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I think it deserves a, a a solid solid over round ovation because this was oh oh buddy, this was a book. <laughs> yes, and and it was very direct. You know, I mean, something that that. Um, we mentioned going into this is George was, was unapologetic, right? Um, and that's how he conducted himself. I mean, he spent so much of his life in prison. That's how you have to be there. You can't beat around the bush. You can't, you know, sub, subtext is, is survival, but uh, you can't do any more than absolutely necessary or it cuts against that survival in prison. Um, and... So, yeah, I mean, he's he's right there. He's straight 40s to the point. Uh, he certainly shared his opinions about revolutionaries um, that uh, that did not always agree with him. And, uh, you know, we have differences in that. Like, I'm not going to come down on Allende or Eldridge Cleaver. That's not my place. Um, I was not alive in those battles. Um, but obviously we have George's insight from that and everything else is pure working theory. It's an example that he lived out. It's an example that, that, um, you know, he watched play out in Jonathan and, and we get the insight of that, right? It's action first. Fascism is not coming lightly, right? Fascism no. is not coming when we get around to it. Fascism is not something that we can, you know, we, we of course have to change hearts and minds in the most reactionary country out there, but we don't do it by, by, you know, beating around the bush and, and being gentle and accommodating, you know, we do it the same way that this country became so reactionary by force. Yep. Right. And, and George is the exact example. And so, you know, we're not necessarily guerrilla warriors and an immense amount of this book was dedicated to guerrilla war tactics. Um, but that's, you know, that's for a reason, right? That is one of the ways to fight back with force. We have to fight with force, you know, and, Maybe it's guerrilla war. Maybe it's occupation, as we'll talk about, you know, in our next work um, with with the Red Nation, um, rather than, you know, just protest. But, you know, there's a reason we had a mini madness in the middle of this about how protest is a show of strength. But if there's no strength behind it, it it's just pomp and circumstance. Mm-hmm. Right. There has to be more there. Um, and George called that out very explicitly and very directly. Yep. And again, his his obvious and again it is it should be obvious to anyone paying attention i think there's people that will debate oh well how close are we but george jackson just calling out so explicitly that even in his time 50 years ago uh that this country was overtly fascist and and had and and had entered into that fascism and detailing where it came from detailing how fdr who again in in the the grand narrative gets praised as this great liberal reformer for 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 so pushing back against reaction and all this other stuff to save the country and all these great liberal projects and no it was purely to it was purely designed to lay down the pipe work and lay down the foundations for fascism in this country and that's exactly what it did well, it was rooted in anti-communism, right? It was the, the, the way to accept the workers in, in without them going too far to being communists. It was rooted in a war economy, right? Which, of course, is foundational to fascism. We live very much in, you know, the again, we talk about the only second to oil, the biggest power cartel in this country is weapons manufacturers, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
you know, and that foundation was laid in FDR. And again, you know, for the ordinary people that it reached out to, it it was helpful. And survival and gains are good when they're won by the people. But we should realize that anytime they're giving us a concession, that's because they need a concession to to you know we we we're winning the moment, right? And they're they're begging us to settle in the middle because they're losing. Keep firing, you know, keep fighting on, right? Um, but also, you know, something and some of this book didn't even I get that detailed into is that stuff didn't just come you know in a vacuum like equal for everybody there was redlining yeah that's that was the, even the new deal was there was an immense amount of land taken from indigenous people um you know in the new deal including like you know the the uh some of the dam and interstate projects things like that you know it explicitly was to divide people and to, you know, bring the white working class up above everybody else just a little bit more to keep those race divisions there. Um, that way, you know, the class divisions could stay in place. Exactly. And it's, it again, it is just such a foundational, important work. Um, it is so, it, it is, again, and I think most things we've done, other than our original run, um, I think our goal has been to try and find as many different and varying sources for for what we're looking at here. We're trying to not mm-hmm. get stuck in the let's just read all the old white guys uh, uh, mentality of of studying theory. You know, we we've touched on the foundations for Marx, we've touched on the foundations for Lenin, we've touched on uh, on some other things there. But we've all, I mean, again, this is an evolution of what. What comes out of this theory? What where does this theory yeah. when the rubber meets the road? What does that look like? Uh, and and this I think is the best so far example of of what actual revolutionary praxis looks like when you're in the belly of the beast, especially in the in in, in the middle of the carceral state. I mean, it, it is a an enlightening guide, in my opinion, to to the struggle that a lot of people don't still don't want to engage with. Um, yeah. And, and that struggle for well, prison. Well, a lot of people are, are, are afraid, you know, they'll start adopting the language, they'll start adopting the thought that things are unjust, but that, that's all liberalism is, is, uh, I'm trying to think of, of, um, who it was that, that, you know, um, it's like the ultimate, the ultimate liberal action is to, to observe, to see things, right? <laughs> like, the, that's you 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 recognize oppression you don't end oppression you recognize oppression that's the ultimate liberal thing you know and and so again you know we can see that even understanding these class divisions and the roots of things that's all for revolutionary purpose we have to put that together so even what you touched on you know uh there's people that will dismissively try to write away socialism and marxism uh with this very actionary like oh it's just old white guys stuff but that cuts both ways like it also it when you say it isn't just old white guys that also means you can't just read those guys so we started with that because that is foundational that's what all of these exactly you know newer works that's what they built their stuff off of and there's more back there to read you know it's not like you know we didn't read um what is to be done the people should be reading you know that right i mean there there's not like we we had a complete um rundown of that entire part of reading and you can't always just get caught in books too you should always be educating yourself but educating yourself for strategy but 
you know, this is more than, than the old white guys. You need to be more contemporary in location, in time. You need to make sure you're getting this from all these perspectives from the indigenous people around the world, uh, whether that is, you know, black people in, in Africa or indigenous people here. And of course, all of the victims of imperialism, colonialism in the world, whether that is black people in, you know, the United States or any of the settler colonies, uh, that, you know, where people wound up from the transatlantic slave trade. Um, you know, that's, that's you have to get all of these voices and 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 everyone in there and so if you're not taking in these perspectives you're not progressing your understanding towards revolution right exactly you have to learn on the ground with experience we talked about this with with mouse on practice right you can't just get caught in books mal also we didn't do on book worship but that that's a good one there too (laughs) but you also have to have you know the the breadth of education there's a reason the black panthers had such a huge reading list just to enter right they wanted you to have the marxism but you also had to have the black nationalism you also had to have the the myriad of um you know perspectives and now we have even more and we know you know that even more groups should be moved into that that's exactly why we're doing the red deal next and that is as good a transition to what comes next as anything. So if, you, if you've listened the whole way through, you obviously know, because we have explicitly said it, that our next book will be uh, The Red Deal uh, by the Red Nation. So if anyone wants to be reading along at home and wants to get their mm-hmm. copy, uh, put it in early. Uh, put it in now because it will take a, it'll take a couple weeks to get there. They are selling more of this book than they can keep in the, sh- in the stores. Um, it, is, it, is, it is definitely a, a hot item right now, and it is going to be by far our most contemporary text um, mm-hmm. that we've ever dealt with. It was published last year. Um, so this is, this is going to be another further, uh, another fun and an exciting step forward uh again it's just another style of theory another style of of work that we haven't dealt with uh to this point um furthermore if it hasn't already been made clear we'll make it clear now that that entire series will be a collaboration series uh we will be collaborating with the fantastic Zicado from the red nation and bands of turtle island uh they will be joining us for all episodes of the red deal uh so we all of season eight will be fully uh fully done with a collaboration mindset in in place so uh mm-hmm. that being said it's the first time we've tried something like this. Uh, uh, we we asked just for some grace if there are some hiccups along the way with it, uh, but I am hoping and and we've already recorded the first episode, so I can already say that uh, it's it's starting off good. Uh, and this is going to be, I think, a really great uh, great learning experience for for both me and David uh, to be able to to learn and and dive through this work with someone who was so uh, integral in this community and someone who is so, uh, uh, knowledgeable on these issues. Um, and I think it'll be a great experience for everyone else as well. I was going to say it's, it's, it's a great experience to dive in with someone who, who's, you know, integral in their community and, and knows, you know, knows what goes into the book, right? It was not, they, they did not help write it. Um, but they are part of the, you know, red nation, right? They're part of the organizing group that did a collaborative writing of this and put this forward. Correct, and and they are a a an act, active on the ground organizer. That will be a great mm-hmm. perspective to have for the show, um, and I think great for you guys to be able to hear um, and and just learn from. Um, and I think that's 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 what we're looking forward to next. That will be that will be starting mm-hmm. next week. Uh, again, <laughs> no bre- all gas, no breaks. We we are we are jumping right into the next uh, the next adventure. So um, <laughs> uh, that being said. This has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Uh, there are a number of different ways you can reach out to us. The first of which is through email. You can email us 
MarksMadnessPod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. We are at MarksMadnessPod on Twitter. Uh, DMs are open, and in our Twitter bio is a link to our Discord server, which is where we all gather. Not all of us. David David comes on command. But the, the rest of the community gathers, uh, talks about the day-to-day, what's going on, struggles, um, and then we play video games and, and watch bad TV. And then we have a book club. Uh, and book club is fantastic. Book club is currently, uh, fi- uh, they should be close to finishing up, I believe. Uh, selected works of Ho Chi Minh by Vijay Prashad. So if you are interested in even more theory in your day, in your uh, week, they are, they are always meeting right now. They're meeting on Fridays. So if that works for you, drop on in. We are more than happy to have anyone who wants to come and learn. Um, that being said, David, I believe it is time for a disclaimer. Yes. So back when me and Nathan started this, uh, Nathan wanted to recapital. He came up to me and he's like, hey, let's read this thing together. And so we decided, well, it's the only the two of us and usually want a bigger reading group than two people. So let's record it and let's share it with other people and let's bring it out to the world. And, and lo and behold, you guys are here. And what we've had in our minds since the beginning is that hopefully you're out there, you're in your party, you're in your cadre, you're in your organizing group and whatever, you know, kind of political education or reading group they have, they're reading these works along with us. And we could be another voice another point of context, uh, another, you know, source of input in those discussions in those reading groups. Uh, let's say that's not happening and you're reading this on your own because maybe your group or party or org is, you know, reading something uh, more in line with a project they're on or shorter or something like that. Uh, hopefully we can be that reading group for you and we can give you all those benefits, including some of the other benefits I didn't list, like getting to review this again, remember it, all of that. Um, and let's say that's not happening and it's either something like this where it's more of an enhanced ebook and we're reading it word for word or something we're summarizing. Whatever we can do to get these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions. When these revolutionary works turn into revolutionary actions, that's a phenomenon called praxis. And, you know, praxis, of course, by by definition, does not exist without theory. Um, There would be nothing guiding that. That would just be kind of loose charity. And theory is completely useless without praxis. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.